Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in Car Chronicle Podcast, the Florida State Preview Edition. Mike Rutherford here with Keith Wynn. Uh, we're recording this Thursday night. It should post Friday morning, so... Uh, a little about 24 hours before game time kickoff at Cardinal Stadium. Cards back home for the first time in a month. It's a noon kick, and, and as Keith and I were talking about before we we started a recording here, Regional Sports Network. Uh, the the three most dreaded words in uh, the city of Louisville book when it comes to basketball and football, which means uh, we'll all be fielding a billion questions about how we can watch this game on TV. But that aside, uh, feeling good heading into this Friday. Keith, how are you feeling? Feeling good, man. You know, it's been a while since we've been on record, but, you know, I think you kind of nailed it. That actually made me think about the fact that at least the thing we get out of this is people harassing Jeff Greer on Twitter about what town <laughs> the game's on. So, you got to take the little little wins in life. I love that that kind of became, like, part of Greer's brand. Like, it, it quickly, because, like, anybody who writes about Louisville is going to deal with that question, and they're going to deal with the, uh, do they sell alcohol at this stadium? question um but Greer got it so bad and it annoyed him so much that it became like his thing which was just uh just wonderful but uh before we get into a little bit of Florida State talk before we take some questions from Twitter want to go back I know we talked about the Notre Dame game uh, a little bit in the podcast earlier this week but you and I haven't had a chance to talk about it you going into this year and really even through the first part of the season you saw Notre Dame as a like you circled that one you thought they were ripe for the pick and you thought it could be an upset almost happened on Saturday not in the fashion that I, I think anybody was really predicting. The 12-7 game, uh, it was played in, I think, 45 minutes for four quarters. It was ridiculously fast. <laughs> um, I guess just wh- where do you stand on the – because I, I don't want to use the, the, the buzz term moral victories because I, I think Louisville fans are all tired of that. Nobody's seeing this as a, as a moral victory, but you can still take away positives from what I think was uh, our best performance in at least a month. But like, how I, – I guess – how much positive do you take away from this, and or is does it outweigh the fact that Louisville had a chance to beat a top five opponent and kind of let it slip away? Where are you mentally with this team after what we saw last week? I think the big, the way I look at it is this, it's an opportunity for a, a jumping off point. You know, obviously later in the season than you wanted, uh, but it's a it's an opportunity to turn turn things around. And I think that that's kind of where I'm looking at it, especially from the defensive side of the ball. I think they kind of put it all together a little bit better. They, you know, they they played against the what I think is the best offensive line in the country, and and showed that they can actually um, handle bigger guys. They can handle NFL talent guys and get pressure on the quarterback. Um, and I think that you know they did something that I think on defense they haven't been able to do all year, which is a really important part of what they need to improve on, which is matching coverage with pressure. So you know, a, a good thing that people have pointed out is that the offense and the defense can't put together a good game together. It's either one or the other plays well. Well, on defense, they're, they're, they're having that issue with coverage and, and pressure where, you know, either they're getting good pressure and receivers are open or they're getting good coverage and there's no pressure and the quarterbacks are able to kind of scramble around and make plays. Well, they were able to kind of do that, do both. And that I think that's how they really improved on defense. And the, the, the thing that's frustrating, though, is that the offense is – they're still – kind of beating themselves I think they played better but then they had all the penalties and timely penalty you know terrible timeliness on the penalty so I I think what they were able to show at the Notre Dame game is what they can be this year but they still weren't able to put it together and, and you missed an opportunity and frustration is kind of the, the key word for the season so far they've just had some frustrating losses and hopefully though they can take this and turn it around because the schedule is manageable at least on the back end a little bit a little bit better than on the front end. You talk about managing pressure with coverage. 
I think the biggest complaint that Louisville fans had through the first few weeks of the season defensively, outside of just the, you know, the, the total blown plays and leaving guys wide open against Miami, was whenever it was you know third and four, third and seven, third and ten, Louisville wasn't bringing more than any than, than three guys. They were allowing opposing quarterbacks to kind of sit back there and pick them apart, and they just didn't have a secondary good enough to, um, you know, to combat that. I mean, why do you think it's taken so long for them to get to this point? I, it's such a simple question, but when everybody's seeing it and saying we got to bring more pressure, we got to bring more pressure, we got to do more of what you know Vance Bedford did back in 2010, or even Todd Grantham, where they were willing to give up some big plays every now and then, but wanted to force turnovers, wanted to create havoc wanted to make up for some of their, I guess, deficiencies when it came to defensive athleticism by just bringing constant pressure. Why haven't we seen more of this before Saturday? Um, I think the big issue is they don't really have four guys that they feel confident enough to even, you know, not give up big plays nonstop. The the, the plus, and one thing I think that everyone should kind of maybe give, give a little bit of pause uh, with is that Notre Dame's wide receivers have not been good all year, and they haven't been able to do to get things going with their receivers, talented receivers. But I think there's just a disconnect between Ian Book and and, and his guys because they're all inexperienced. So I think that what they decided to do finally was to say, you know what, we're just going to go with it, and we're going to put you know a guy like Isaiah Hayes, who we we all know has struggled in coverage. Uh-huh. They just kind of said, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to put him out there. And, and Jack Fago, who's also struggling in coverage, they did the same. They said, we're going to, we're just going to go with it. And you know, I, I kind of expected them to kind of to to try that, but I expected them to maybe bring in another corner. Uh, you know, it, when they when they put an extra defense defensive back on the field, they put an extra safety. I expected them to say, you know, we're going to put Anthony Johnson out there. And they just they they stuck with their guns and they just kind of went more aggressive and it worked out. The thing is that, you know, when you have Trey Clark over there, who's really playing outstanding right now, uh, and then Chandler Jones, if he can be consistent and look like he did on Saturday, they can start trying to hide Isaiah Hayes in, in those types of situations where they can maybe put him on a tight end or maybe put him on a, in a slot with maybe, you know, a linebacker helping him underneath. They can do some things like that, but they need everyone to be consistent. We're seeing Isaiah Hayes get picked on. Uh, but if if you can at least trust that everyone else is doing their job, you can try to figure out a way to hide him in coverage. And maybe that's what they try to do going forward. Do you think that we're going to see, because, I mean, the obvious defensive standout, I mean, Trey Clark was fantastic. Like you said, he's been really good all year long. He's been that shutdown corner that Louisville was uh, really needing this year. But Monty Montgomery's the guy that everybody's talking about. I think he finished with 13 tackles. He was far and away the leading tackler. He's top 10 in the country now in sacks. They've kind of unleashed him the last couple of weeks. I, I mean. When you're watching the game on Saturday, did you see them doing different things with Monty? And do you think that we'll see them doing those things moving forward? Just kind of letting him be more of a, I don't know, I hate to use the word roamer, but it seems like he was kind of just playing that sort of star role, even if he wasn't technically playing that position. Yeah, I think they're going to find a way to get him on the field more, which is a, which is a huge plus. He had a, he had a big game earlier this season, and I, I can't remember which game it was, but I think, uh, I think it was Gigi Robinson who tweeted after the game that, you know, he was only, he only played like 15 plays, but he had, he like, you know, he had a couple sacks and he, he's just such a, he's a, he's a guy that's so impactful when he gets out there, but he does have his limitations from a coverage standpoint, which we, you know, we know is a big issue for this defense. That I, That's another example. I think of them just saying, you know, we're going to put him out there and we're going to let him play and do his thing. And what, what he allows you to do is use him as a spy. And I think he's going to be super important. I wrote this in the in the what to watch for this week. He is going to be the most important player in this Florida State game because they're going to have to try to contain Jordan Travis's legs. They're going to have to, when you're talking about matching that coverage, another thing that if you have good coverage in the back end and you have Monty Montgomery as a spy and that and, and the quarterback has that ability to scramble like we saw against Pitt and, and, and Georgia Tech, Monty Montgomery is a guy that can close. He closes space so quickly, and he doesn't miss tackles. He hasn't. He, that's another thing that's so underrated about him. He's running down guys in the open field, and he's not getting shook. He's not getting stiff armed. He makes the play. And when you, Jordan Travis is an electric runner in the open field, he's a guy that can really take over a game with his legs. If you can take that away, you're looking at a guy who's only completing forty something percent of his passes against FBS teams right now. If you can make Jordan Travis one-dimensional, you're, you're really 
impacting the entire game. And Monty Montgomery has that ability. I, I love the way they use him against Notre, against Notre Dame as a guy that can just run down plays in open space. I think they're, they're going to keep doing that. And, and then you just have to find a way to get Dorian Etheridge and C.J. Avery their snaps. But right now, Monty Montgomery's playing outplaying both of those guys. You are, I think, one of the most even killed, like kind of chill dudes that I know. But how did outside of when you're like battling trolls on Twitter during the game um, and, and blocking, you know, 50 people? Besides that, like you're you're pretty, you, you stay level. How did you handle the the onside kick penalty after the review? Oh, I lost my mind, dude. I'm so <laughs> I'm so fucking mad. Like I, I was. I was so mad because it was such a it was such a great play and I was like man what a what a ballsy move and I was like man it worked and you know I'm all excited and you know like I I'm watching the replay like everybody else I'm like yeah they got it like you know yeah. this like what like I'm thinking now what are they gonna do on offense are they gonna go for the big play like they can get a you know they can really extend it I was like oh it was good and I swear to God man when they came back on and like they read the rule and I was like. What? <laughs> I was like, what is this? I, I didn't know you could review it. I was so mad, dude. Like, I was just like, Jesus, just, just stewing, you know. Dude, just, it, was just the, it, it was the shock factor because, like, you're watching that review and you're looking for two things. You're looking to see if the ball went 10 yards and you're looking to see if it touched a Louisville player before it did go 10 yards. And, like, when it's clear that neither of those things happened, it seems like a, a clean-cut deal. It would have been like if they were reviewing a home run in the World Series to see if it went over the fence – and it, you know, it clearly cleared the fence by like 20 feet. There's no doubt about it. And then they come back and they say it didn't count because a dude had his foot out of the batter's box when he swung. Like that, that would have been. It, it was just the the surprise. About, like, even Notre Dame fans were like, "All right, defense, you got to step up now." And like we're planning <laughs> how we're gonna score. It just it was the biggest gut punch review that I can remember because it was so like you you had no idea that was even a reviewable thing. I don't know. I I almost had to go outside. That was. The worst freak out I've had this year. It was such a great ballsy call, and I think the other thing, it was such a it's such a well designed play. Like all yeah. you need, and and Scott Satterfield talked about it, which of course he was like, yeah, we knew the rule, I knew we were gonna get it. I was like, well, that's that. I kind of wanted him to be surprised by it too. Me too. Kind of like it was like, oh, what the fuck you do, man? That sucks. But it was he he pointed out that if that ball if the ball goes a little bit faster. That that's it's perfect, and he was like, it just took a little, you know, took a little side bounce, and I was like, just the even though the rule we didn't know about it, it still almost was a good play. Like if the ball just rolled a little bit faster, it would have been bang bang, and they probably wouldn't have called it. It was like it wasn't just the rule; it was also how close it was to not breaking the rule that made it even worse. Yeah, the other thing that sucked about it is. And I'd have to – there's no way to tell for sure, but it didn't look like the guy who got blocked illegally for Notre Dame was going to get to the ball. Like, it didn't look like he was going to be able to make that play. He was. They were also caught by surprise. It was kind of like a, you know, like, like an electric punt return where there's a block in the back penalty 30 yards away from the play, and you're like, fuck, you didn't even need to do it. But it just – like, it, it was one of those moments, and it, sometimes it happens in sports. Everybody has had these moments, regardless of what sport you're cheering for your team on – where, like, you just know right when it happens, like, that's the moment I'm going to be pissed off about for the next week. Like, that's it. Like, I know we're still – we're winning this game right now. We have all the t time in the world. We can definitely pull this out. We're playing right with these guys. But I know right when it got reviewed like, – like, right when it got reversed, like, this is what I'm going to be thinking about at 3 a.m. tonight. This is what I'm going to be thinking about next Friday night. It was just one of those moments. And it fucking yep. sucks. And it still fucking sucks. It, it's yep. still – it's just terrible. Um, I, I guess just big picture now, talking about this team, because – the shitty thing about being where we are right now, every Louisville fan believes this team is better than one and four. I think every coach in the ACC, every fan base knows that Louisville's better than their record is right now. But being at this position, being 0 and 4 in the conference, having seven games left, it, it's almost, it's almost, I guess six games left now, it's almost impossible for Louisville to have the type of season that we all would have viewed uh, as successful going into it. They could reel off, you know, six straight and, and be seven and four and, uh, go to a, a decent bowl game, but the thought of eight and three, the thought of nine and two, it's out the window now. I guess just like, how confident are you now that this team can, you know, win five of six, or maybe win six of six, or win four of six? Like, are we? It seems like we're heading the right direction after this game, but like, how successful can we really be at this point? Yeah, it's weird. I, I've I've kind of gotten to the point where I, the main thing is I want these guys. I want to, I want them to be competitive. You know, I want them to at least have be in every game. 
But I do think that it's such it feels like a toss up. You know, like I think Virginia Tech is obviously playing well. Uh, they seem to have their have their shit together with their quarterback now being healthy. They still they're still missing like chunks of their team every week and like coaches and everything. And I, I don't nobody seems to be questioning what's going on down there because no one knows if it's COVID related or not. But they're missing guys every week and different guys and whatnot. But I think that outside of Virginia Tech, everyone else has so many questions, just kind of like Louisville does. You know, you got Syracuse who's it was like a triage situation. They got guys falling off, and they got smoked by Liberty, and their defense is having tons of issues. They've changed quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you've got you've got Virginia. They've already changed quarterbacks. You've got everyone has issues. So I think there's definitely a possibility um, for them to be able to win. They're, they, they have a chance to win every game for the rest of the year. But I think the big thing is can, can they be consistent? Can Louisville – get rid of their old issues. And I think, I think Louisville's issues are much easy, much more easily fixable than some of the other teams on their schedule because I think Louisville's main issue is that they can't stop beating themselves. I mean, you, you have turnovers up until the Notre Dame game. You stop turning the ball over, but then you have penalties that are killing you. So I, I think that they have an opportunity if they can use this as a jumping off point to get things fixed. Uh, they, I think they could win any every game, but I also think hell they could also not win another game if they can't get themselves out of their own way, and especially on the offensive side of the ball, the defense was never going to be good enough to win games this year. But they they played well enough to win games, and the offense hasn't you know brought their end of the bargain. So I think if they can get things fixed on offense, I'm really looking forward to this game to see if they can do that. Uh, I think that we'll see a better team, you know, the team that we may be expected to see the second half of the season. Someone, like, like, main goal for this week has to be somebody getting in Renato Brown's ear and just telling him, like, it, it's not worth it. Like, doing, like, yeah. the Robin Williams from Goodwill Hunting thing, like, the reverse thing where it's like, it's not worth it, man. It, it's not, <laughs> just, if you see a guy, I, I know it's, like, everybody's thought when they see somebody standing there just not paying any attention is to just tackle him. I, I think about it in life daily. If I'm at Kroger and there's a guy just standing off the dish, I just want to spear him. But you can't do it, and uh, he's going to have to learn that at some point because the penalties the last two weeks have just absolutely killed us. Um, we're going to take some questions from Twitter in a second. Before we do that, I want to remind you guys that this uh, podcast is now sponsored by Homefield Apparel. They dropped their line of Louisville gear last Saturday. I saw they've been dropping new uh, new schools every Saturday for the last three or four months. I saw that Louisville's uh, day one sales were the fifth highest they've had, so that's awesome. Um, if you want to make a purchase and you want to save a little bit of money doing so, you can use the discount code Card Chronicle when you check out all one word, and that's going to save you 20% off your first purchase. Again, super soft shirts. The hoodies are awesome. Check it out. They've got retro designs. If you like the Duncan Cardinal bird, if you like the retro Cardinal bird, this is the line of clothes you want to have uh, to get ready for basketball season. They've got a Winterfield shirt as well. Check all that stuff out at homefieldapparel.com and follow them on Twitter at homefieldapparel. No E in apparel. I, I guess Homefield Apparel was somehow taken on Twitter. They had to settle for apparel. So it's good for you know us around here because we say Louisville like we have stuff in our mouth already like Louisville so apparel is is right up our alley but uh, big shout out to Homefield Apparel for launching the Louisville gear and for sponsoring us here on the Card Chronicle podcast. All right, Keith, uh, I asked for some Twitter questions yesterday before we taped our or I guess yeah yesterday before we taped our podcast. Completely forgot about it when I started recording. So, we have done. so I'm going to answer some of them, or we're going to answer some of the the football related ones on this pod, and then we'll we had so many we're going to tackle some more next week. But uh, first question up, Chase Bland. Uh, he said, if you could take one defensive player from the Charlie Strong years and put him on this year's Cardinal defense, who are you going with? I'll let you go first. Oh, that's tough. Um, I, I'd say. I'm going to go with Marcus Smith. I think, you know, getting that edge rusher would, would really help this defense. I, you, you stole my answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be like a big, like kind of out of left field. Like you would go Sheldon Rankins or uh, Calvin Pryor <laughs> or somebody, but like, I mean, Marcus Smith was just like an unstoppable edge rusher. And that's what we've been missing so much. I, he's one of those guys, um, I guess because he struggled so much in the NFL and because there was so much, he was such a surprise first round pick and it kind of worked against him. People forgot how good he was at Louisville. I mean, those two years, I mean, he came here and I know you and I have talked about this before the worst college quarterback I've ever seen at a practice. Like <laughs> don't so think he could hit the net from like 10 feet out. It was, it was I, like, I saw him the first day and I was like, 
Oh God. I was like, he looks like that dude who like lifted way too much freshman year of high school and can't throw the football anymore. Like it's like sidearm throw. <laughs> it was real bad, but I, who would have thought he would turn out to be an all American defensive end. So yeah, we're in agreement there. I kind of hate it. I thought I was going to catch you by surprise. I, I think Sheldon Rankins is the, is, is, it has to be one a, I mean, they, they run that three man front. They need, you know, bigger guys who can also rush a passer. So that would have been one a, but Mark, yeah, you, you need that pass rush, which is what they're struggling with right now, I guess. Uh, a lot of people want to talk about the quarterback situation. It's, I mean, whenever a football team's struggling, you mentioned all the teams in the ACC that have already made moves, but people are asking, uh, one, is Puma Pass still on the team? Which I guess the answer to is it, technically, yeah. Um, and then two, uh, is there a real shot that Evan Conley replaces Malik Cunningham at some point this year? I, I, I feel like this is going to be, like, like this is Malik's year. Uh, Unless something just insanely drastic happens where he falls off the face of the earth and we're, you know, one and eight and we're just trying to get T. Webb some snaps or see what Evan can do. I feel like Malik's going to be he, this is his team. He's, he's going to be the guy. I'm not saying he you know, doesn't give Conley a series here or there, but it feels like they're going to ride with him. And, and he hasn't been so bad to not justify that. At least that's where I am. I think maybe we see a little bit of Evan Conley here and there. He didn't really show us that much in, in spot duty last week, but that was kind of a forced into action deal. Um, but I, like, I'll be shocked if Malik Cunningham isn't your starter for the entire season. Yeah, same here. I, I think that it, it would take – I think it's going to be a, holy crap, Malik is playing absolutely awful, out of character awful, for them to make a move in the middle of the game and say, hey, we're going to give another guy a chance to win this game for us. Um, you know, I, I think that it would take something really drastic but I do think if if the season really does just go off the rails and they're not competitive in games anymore, which I just don't see happening, that, that, that I could see them going with, you know, the younger guys and saying, hey, we want to see if we maybe, you know, need to get things going forward before spring practice where we have a true quarterback battle in, in the spring. But I just, I mean, that would be 2018 level. And I think, you know, I, I Des Fitzpatrick was, was uh, one of the guys that they got interviewed this week during the weekly pressers. And, I mean, he was adamant with evidence of how this is different from 2018. It's, it's, it's not – guys aren't giving up. Guys aren't unhappy. They're still fighting for for the season. And I think that, you know, we're going to see Malik unless something changes there. Uh, um, or, like I said, if he's having an absolutely terrible game and they're within seven or ten points and there's a chance to win the game, and, the, you know, I can see that happening, but – he hasn't played that poorly yet, and I, I think that it, it would be hard for us to see that. If we do go to Evan Conley, I, I feel like the Malik should change his name back to Mikhail will become the Evan Conley needs to cut his hair because that <laughs> I, we haven't seen him at all. Like I had no idea his hair was that was that long, and it would, he came out. You know, everybody's gonna make the sunshine comparison, but he came out and just I was like, holy shit! Like <laughs> Evan Conley went Hollywood on us in sophomore year, but you know, whatever. If, if he if he does start playing and doesn't play well, he's gonna have to cut that hair. Um, Johnny Johnny Stark on Twitter says. Uh, is Louisville having the season this year that we kind of expected it to have in 2019? And 2019 wound up being the season we felt like we'd have in year two or three. I think that's a, like a pretty solid point. Like the the results through the first five weeks this year are kind of what I was expecting last year. Like obvious improvement, competitive against teams that maybe have more natural talent than, than we do, but just not being able to find a win because you don't have that, that culture of knowing how to finish games. Um, and I feel like we all would be viewing this one and four record totally differently if the team hadn't overachieved so much last year, which uh, again is sort of a, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, but yeah, I feel like the, the season's kind of got reversed. Like last season should be this year and this year should be last year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it was, it's, it's, that's a perfect way of putting it is that, yeah, the, the, and the reason why is that you, like you said, you can see the improvement. Like even now you can see some defensive improvement. Um, you know, and I think that obviously on offense, we're not seeing the improvement that we want to see or whatever, but you could, you could see that they could at least hold serve this year if they would stop making the mental errors that you, that we saw in 2018. Right. So I think we're seeing things that we're just kind of like, okay, yeah, this is an undisciplined or, or uh, unfocused football team. Cause I think, I think turnovers are, are not like, you know, bad luck. It's poor play. And it usually happens when guys are making decisions that they shouldn't make. Malik throws in the coverage when he shouldn't. Or, you know, running backs are not focused and not, not focusing on carrying the ball the correct ways, and, and they get stripped. Like, 
that's stuff that you expect from a team that was coming off of poor coaching and, and poor attitude and poor culture and all that. And you would expect that last year, but last year they didn't make these kind of mistakes. I mean, they didn't fumble the ball. Javion Hawkins didn't fumble the ball last year. And he has two in one game. Malik Cunningham only throws five interceptions. He's already hit that number this year. It's just odd. So that's why it's also why it's so frustrating this year, because I think if they didn't have those issues, they wouldn't be one and four. They would have more wins and we wouldn't be having these types of conversations. So it's it's it, it's it's very weird, but it's a perfect way of putting it. I, the season's completely got flipped around somehow. Uh, sort of uh, along the same line, Zach Brady says, uh, have Louisville fan expectations went way down since joining the ACC? It feels like there are a lot of moral victory champions uh, after games. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, again, like we can't speak for the entire fan base. Uh, I don't know where everybody's head is. I, I feel like we're just sort of if our expectations are down, it's because the bottom fell out of this program in 2018, like out of fucking nowhere. Like that's I think you have you can't have set expectations every single year. And there are some fans and I know this from doing you know the radio show and having taken calls. There are some fans who don't change their expectations for either major sport from year to year. Like Like it's. Louisville should win the national title every year in basketball. Like we're not, you know, we're not Penn State. We should be celebrating Sweet 16s, even if we have like, you know, 17 three-star recruits making up the team. <laughs> and I don't understand that. Like, I think our expectation. We, we were riding high coming into the ACC. There's no question about it. Charlie Strong years were great. We were fantastic in 2012 and 2013. There was a lot of talent. And I think the expectation was, you know, Bobby Petrino should win right away. We should be competitive in the conference. He should be able to recruit at a higher level than we have been because of the new conference affiliation. And I don't think anybody was saying, you know, we should be conference champions every year. We should be beating Florida State and, and Clemson down every year. But I think that there was a reasonable expectation that we should be, you know, every four or five years, maybe winning the Atlantic division and playing for the conference title. And in the other years being the second or third or fourth best team in that division and, and going to a bowl game just about every year. And I don't think that that's, going to change like if if this is the way like last year was great and right now we're okay with this because we're still in sort of a rebuild but if four or five years from now we're still talking about going seven five and being competitive and and one and four like people aren't going to be okay with that so i think our expectations will get back to that point but it's a process yeah i think the 2018 just kind of disappeared from the minds of a lot of people um and i also i think that 2018 for a, a different way of putting it, 2018 for a lot of people was a complete, uh, like just is a is a off the wall like, hey, this is not real normal, and they don't think that it factored into the program at all. It's like they just had a skip year where they thought that 2017 happened, and then 2018 wasn't. It was just weird, and that's yeah. not really the case. When you look back at 2016 and 17, there were obvious signs that the program was going downward not upward and and lamar jackson was like masking a lot of issues um there's a good way of putting it will was on pace this year up, up before the notre dame game they're on pace to have as many turnovers as they had in the 2016 you know heisman trophy lamar year well they don't have lamar jackson on this team if they if they didn't have lamar jackson on that team they'd be awful i mean you, you don't you, you know it wasn't they didn't play good football in those couple years, and then when Lamar Jackson disappeared, you realize that yeah, they they really just weren't that good of a football team. So I think that you know my expectations are you know this team should get to double digit wins from time to time, and they still haven't done that. So I don't yeah. think they've even reached a level of where they need to be. But I think that people realize, I think some people or most maybe realize that 2018 wasn't like an anomaly. That's the word I was searching for this whole time. It was a part of like this this program being on a downward trend and hitting rock bottom much more quickly because they didn't have that superstar player. This is a rebuild, and to and I think 2019, as much fun as it was, and as much as I enjoyed it, and as much as I bought into it, it it really kind of changed where I think people think the program really is, and they're just not there. I mean, Louisville's still playing walk-ons and former walk-ons in key places on their on their offense and their defense they're still playing guys that you know essentially were two stars and three stars which yeah it's great that they're playing well but you've got to if you want to get to the point that you want to be you have to have more talented players coming into the program that you develop into better players not 
you know, guys that you're having to take and, and hit, you're going to hit and miss much more often when you have those lower rated guys. And that's, that's just the way that college football works. It's the way that college basketball works. So they're not there yet. Recruiting seems to be getting better. And like you said, if, if a couple of years from now, we're still like, Hey man, they, they, they won eight games. I, yeah. I don't think people are going to be happy with that. We're expecting more. And we, you know, I think that Louisville fans expect them to get to double digit wins from time to time, compete for the, for the conference. Um, and, and I don't think that the, I think the moral victory victories right now are that, yeah, it's bad, but man, it's, it's, it's so close. They're so close in some of these games to just getting over the hump and they're, they would be, they would have a winning record right now. So I think that people are misconstruing that as a moral victory, as opposed to just being realistic about where they are right now. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, I think what last year did, what, what, uh, what, what the 2019 season did was it created a, far too easy explanation for 2018 because i mean you look at it and you say well you know we had lamar jackson and we didn't live up to expectations in 2017 but still that team won eight games you won nine games the year before and to go to go from that to arguably the worst power five team that we've seen in a long time in it from any conference is just it's it's inexplicable but then because we bounced back so quickly last year it, it created this easy explanation for well it was just the coaches they they quit they they the atmosphere was bad. The program culture was terrible. All that stuff can be true. I still don't think that one thing can fully explain what we saw in 2018. Because, yeah, the program was trending down. The this 2017 season was a disappointment. The end of 2016 was a debacle. So it wasn't like we were riding high and then the bottom just fell out. But we were still in a place where there should have been enough of a safety net in place where you shouldn't be giving up. 50 straight point 50 points in five straight games like you shouldn't be the first power five team to ever do that you shouldn't be getting just fucking waxed by everybody in the acc outside of florida state um and it left us kind of wondering if there was talent on the team or how much was coaching staff and last year created this whole i think i think you're right like a myth that the talent was just it was still as good as it's always been and we're fine and the coaching staffs are great and we're going to improve and all this stuff. The reality is that team overachieved. It won some close games. It played against teams in the ACC that were cut from the same cloth that weren't all that good. Um, and, and now we're seeing that while the talent certainly was better than it should have been record wise in, in 2018, it wasn't where it needs to be for this program to, to get back to, you know, threatening to win double digit games. And hopefully we do get there at some point. Uh, in the very near future, relatively near future. But uh, moving on, let's talk about this game against Florida State because if Louisville is going to to salvage this season and have something that we can hang our hat on, it feels like it, it needs to start Saturday. And I feel like we've said that the last two weeks, but it really, it really needs to start this Saturday <laughs> uh, in a game that Louisville is still favored to win despite everything. Uh, the line opened at Louisville minus nine. It was quickly bet down. I think it's right around five right now. But noon kickoff, it's homecoming for Louisville. Florida State has gotten it, it kind of itself together the last couple of weeks. Um, we'll talk about the offense. The, the obvious storyline, the key narrative is Jordan Travis coming back and playing his old program, the program that he transferred from midseason back in 2018. I was the biggest Jordan Travis fan in the city. I, I was I was touting him. I had some inside info. I told the story a billion times on the radio that year that a, a guy on the coaching staff on the offensive side who is no longer there uh, had told me during fall camp, like, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> like, he was straight up like, <laughs> like, like this isn't great. Uh, Puma Pass is not our guy. Malik Cunningham's got to get a lot better throwing the ball. And he said, um, the first month's going to be a disaster. Jordan Travis starting by mid-October. That obviously didn't happen. Jordan Travis was never uh, handed the keys to the car. I thought he should have been. Uh, but he's he's now the guy at FSU. Uh, how much of a problem does he present for Louisville on Saturday? Um, the best way I can put it is I think that Jordan Travis is like the embodiment of like what Louisville struggles against, which is a quarterback who can – move their feet and doesn't mind risking throwing the ball into like wherever he's, he's a gunslinger, which, which, you know, you, you, you hear about that with like the Brett Favre comparisons, you know, that all oh, this guy, you know, does it, he just doesn't, he doesn't really value the football all that much. He, he values big plays. So he's always looking to make a big play, which obviously when, you know, you have an, a quarterback that can do that, it's really hard to defend that because they, they take some risks, uh, he, he feels like he can extend plays. You know, you watch Lamar Jackson on Sundays, and one of the things you always see is he will run and, and wait till the last second to make a play. Jordan Travis kind of has that mentality without that kind of athleticism. 
So sometimes he gets himself in the, in the trouble, but also there are other times where he can make he he would extend the play. Uh, he'll he'll throw on the run. He throws on the run really well. He has a really strong arm, which I think is where you see what what Bobby Petrino saw in him, which is a guy that I can develop uh, who has this big time arm, is a really great athlete, and can run that offense how he wanted it, how he ran it with Lamar Jackson. But he he would have time to work with him. And I think it's he's finally getting that from uh, from the coaching staff down there at Florida State. They're giving him an opportunity to throw the football. One thing that people need to realize is that he didn't. They no one let him throw the football until like two weeks ago. When when Willie Tiger was a the coach, they just brought him in for run plays. When Mike Norvell came in, they brought him in for run plays. And then finally against Jacksonville State. They just said, you know what, let's fuck it, let's just give him the ball and let him do his thing. And they realize that because he can make plays, that's the only thing Florida State hasn't had for years, right? They've had good running backs, they've had good receivers. You cannot win football games without quarterbacks that can that can do something for you. And James Blackman, I think, is a is a better quarterback than he gets credit for, but he is not a playmaking quarterback. He doesn't make quick decisions, he's indecisive. And he t- that's why he takes sacks and he makes bad decisions because he doesn't really he doesn't just let it loose. Jordan Travis just lets it loose, man. He just he just doesn't give a shit. And it's so fun. It's fun to watch. I love watching him play because he's always running around. And I don't know if you guys if people remember that Georgia Tech game when he finally got to play for Louisville. You know he's running around so much that he just ran out of breath. I mean, yeah, he's, just, he's, just, he's like a he's like playing backyard football out there. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's fun watching him. I'm happy for him because I, I I was a Jordan Travis fan. And I think that. You know, the way he, he left the program, there were – I didn't like the way that it kind of went down. It was kind of indicative of how that season was where, you know, guys were making a decision to leave and then they were kind of being bad mouth and things like that. But I think he's – he's from a standpoint of how he matches up against Louisville, it's definitely a concern because he, he's so good with his legs. That's why Monty Montgomery and guys being able to chase him down and, and keep him contained is so important. But the other thing that I noticed against North Carolina – is that they're starting to utilize his legs in, high, in their play design. Uh, they had a really interesting play on their own goal line where they essentially kind of did this kind of fake QB sweep and leaped out a tight end on the backside. Well, you know, because he's, because he's so dynamic with his legs, the entire, you know, the defense is going to react to that. They're designing stuff to, uh, to counter his own mobility against the defense. And that's that's something that I'm kind of worried about because when you get those design plays to do those things, as a defensive coordinator, what are you supposed to do? You're you're going to tell your guys to key on him, contain him, all eyes on him, and now they're leaking guys out and doing things like that. Some of the things that Louisville's done uh, with, under Scott Satterfield, they're doing down there at Florida State now. Like obviously, I don't want Jordan Travis to light us up, but <laughs> if, if, if it did happen. I would love like an f bomb tirade directed at Nick Petrino after the game on, on <laughs> his press conference. Like if, if it's gonna happen, like if he's gonna have a big game against us, which I think every self tortured Louisville fan is kind of expecting at this point. If it does happen, I would like him just to kind of tell all the Nick Petrino stories that uh, <laughs> that he wants to right now. But he's been he's been pretty uh, professional about the whole thing this week. He said the right stuff. He's you know talked about how he still has friends here and. Uh, it's not really about his time here. It's about his new team and all that stuff. But, um, you know, in, inside, he wants to come back here and just absolutely torch us, which, I mean, there's a little bit of a recent history with that. Uh, Matt Colburn, I think, is still running around Cardinal Stadium. Um, I mean, how much did he run for in his three games here? Like, the first time it was, like, a big deal because he was playing as a freshman and we held him to, like, a modest total. And then in years two through four – I think he ran for like 17,000 yards combined <laughs> against us. And it was just, I mean, he basically had his pants off during his last touchdown run. He was just like <laughs> grabbing himself and pointing at Bobby Petrino the, during the last run. And hopefully that's not Jordan Travis on Saturday. But, man, I mean, <laughs> we fucked over kids, and, and <laughs> they just uh, they don't forget about it. It's, it's, it's it all. God. <laughs> Outside of him, though, where does Florida State, what weapons do they have that can really exploit our defense on Saturday? So they, I don't uh, – I think they they also have an issue where Notre Dame had where they really haven't found those consistent receivers. Uh, they have talent, you know, every year they have talent at wide receiver. And Tamarion Terry is the one guy that actually has been consistent for them over the last couple of years, but he is injured and no one really expects him to play, even though Mike Norvell is kind of keeping that, you know, kind of, you know, up in the air. Um, but he had surgery recently, I believe. And I think even if he were able to play, 
I don't think I think he'd be on like a pitch count. I don't think they'd be able to get him, you know, 100%. So right now they're looking at they've got uh, two two small receivers, you know, more maybe your slot guys or maybe guys that can play a little bit of slot, a little bit outside. Guys that just haven't been consistent. And I, I don't know if they really have a guy that I would say, hey, I'm really worried about this guy. Outside of the fact that obviously, like I said, you've got Jordan Travis as that wild card who just throw it up to anybody. But um, they've they've gotten better play out of their tight end. Uh, Cam McDonald, he's a guy that obviously we know that the middle of the field is an issue for Louisville's defense. Tight ends have had, had luck. Um, and then at running back, they're they're kind of going with a running back by committee. But with Damian uh, uh, Webb, he's a freshman running back, uh, undersized. He's like five foot seven, five foot eight. He's like 215 pounds. You know, one of those guys, bowling ball kind of guys. They've got talent on talent at the skill positions. They just haven't been able to. They're they're not like a like a Notre Dame where you know, hey, Kyra Williams, he's getting the ball 25 times today. They just haven't really gotten that guy yet. And and I think that's that's also one of the worries of you know being a Louisville fan. It's like, man, one of these guys is just gonna figure it out in this fucking game. And they're going to go off. You know, it's, it's it comes from basketball, right? There's always a guy that yeah. who is this guy going nuts and hitting five three-pointers and whatnot. I, you, you can't help but feel that's going to happen in the football game uh, because that's just, that's just Louisville sports. But I think that they're getting better on offense. But I think I do think that the North Carolina game has been a little bit overhyped. They got out to a big lead. They got some very big plays, but they got most of their big passing plays on like four completions, I think. And they got 166 out of 190 passing yards on four plays. Jordan Travis was uh, right at 50%, I think, passing. He's not being consistent from an accuracy standpoint. Like I said, and part of that, I believe, is because he doesn't have consistent receivers that they go out and catch the football, they get open, they create separation. And then their running game, it, it, it's, just, it's still a, a running back by committee. Um, so I think, I don't know if there's any real, like that real, Hey, this guy's a threat, but I think overall their, their offense is definitely coming into some kind of a better situation. And I think that's partially because their coaches are starting to understand what they have. I mean, we saw that from Scott Satterfield last year, it took four or five games until we figured out that Des Fitzpatrick could actually also play and Marshawn Ford is an option. Uh, and there's more than just this running game going. So I think they're finally getting there, but I don't think that they're nearly as good as maybe I think that that big win they had makes is making people think that makes sense. Defensively, they're giving up 475 yards per game. They're giving up about 32 points per game. They've looked a little bit better in recent weeks. But I saw that some of the FSU riders talking about this week where they really struggle is the short side of the field. Um, Asante Samuel's a fantastic corner, but they don't have a good boundary corner. Louisville loves running plays to the short side of the field, whether it's run or pass. It feels like on paper this should be kind of the perfect recipe for this offense to get some of its confidence back and, and to get going. I mean, do you think that – First of all, is that right? Is that, and do you think that this is the game where we finally see the offense kind of find its stride? So I think I think there's two things with this game when it comes to, the, to, to Louisville's offense. Like you're 100 percent right. Like Florida State's defense is right for the picking. Like they're not playing well. They have glaring issues at that second corner spot. Their linebackers, especially in the middle of the field, aren't really playing that well. They're they're. I mean Notre Dame uh, ran just a simple counter play over and over and over again, and I think they had three or four runs that were all over 50 yards because the linebackers just weren't where they're supposed to be. Guys are overrunning plays. They're not really playing sound football on defense, and they're also not getting uh, the disruptive play up front that they got last year. Marvin Wilson is one of the best defensive tackles in the country, and he decided to come back to school for God knows what reason, and he's still playing really hard, but he's not making the plays like he played before, you know, that he, that he did last year and the, and the year before. Corey Durden is another guy that, that passed up the NFL. They have really good, talented players up front, but they're not really making those plays. And I, I don't know if that's a scheme change, you know, with the different things they're doing. If you look at Louisville's defense, their defensive line is built around causing disruption and letting the linebackers make plays. Well, that might be Florida State's new scheme. I, I'll be honest, I, I haven't seen it enough to really know. But if that's the case, you still need those guys to either be disruptive so that the linebackers can make plays, which they're not really doing that much, or you need them to make the plays themselves, which they're also not doing. So that's part – that's a real it's, – it's very weird because they still have talent, but they're glaring, like, real big issues with their secondary, like you said, outside of Sante Sanyo. 
Um, their middle linebacker, they just moved to a freshman linebacker now uh, who, who's playing a little bit better. But when you're, when you're changing out seniors and, and veteran players for young guys this early on, um, you know that there's a glaring issue, and especially with the defense playing so poorly. The second part of this to me is, and you know, I want to make sure I say this right and be, uh, be kind of blunt, it's kind of time for Scott Satterfield to kind of the actions to speak louder than the words. Yeah. He says the right things a lot. Like, hey, we need to get Desmond Strachan the ball. Okay, he gets two targets. We need to make sure we're doing things. We're, we need to do with the, the, what is it, take what the defense is giving them. They're not doing that either. You know, they're not they're not doing what they did last year to create big plays, but they keep, he knows they need big plays, but they're not, they're not doing the misdirection stuff to get guys down the field. And that, that play against Notre Dame, when they got Javion Hawkins behind the defense, I was like, God, this is the type of stuff they did last year all the time. And they just haven't done that. I don't really know why. Um, But it's, it's, it's at this point, I I love the fact that he owns it. I mean, you know, obviously coming from a coaching staff that was like the, you know, we got the same canned answers and bullshit all the time. It's really nice to hear Scott Satterfield say, Hey, this is on me. I need to do this and the other, but you know, we've been hearing him say a lot of good stuff for, you know, over a year now. And you don't necessarily see it come true on the field. And, and that's where we need to see this week, where they're going to take a defense that is overrunning every play and say, OK, we're going to run some misdirection stuff to get, you know, open space because we're taking what they're giving them, giving us instead of just running the ball up. And, you know, he, he even said we're running the ball right into the defense uh-huh. over and over again. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's every fan. Even even me, who kind of goes to bat for these guys all the time, I'm like, man, you're you're just these are this is what the fans have been been saying all year, and okay, if we are seeing it and you're agreeing with with regular average Joes, that's not a, that's not a good sign, bro. Like, so he's got to figure out a way to get these guys to get get open plays to to create space for his playmakers, and I have no clue why it's taking so long to, to get that done. Because some of the stuff is just obvious, like just a quick stand-up screen where you're throwing a ball out to two-two, and you, he's got two blockers in front of him. There, you know, alignment shows that that's a play that's available, and instead we're we're getting you know 15-yard routes where if they're not open, Malik doesn't have anywhere to throw the ball, and he's trying to make a play with his legs. There, there, there's something off, and I don't know what it is, but if Scott Satterfield realizes it and he's not able to fix it, that's where you got some real questions about what's going on because it, it's not making a lot of sense right now. Yeah, if we have 10 first down basic runs of, of one or two yards again this week, I'm just going to I'm gonna fucking lose it. Like I get, <laughs> it's, like you said, like he's acknowledging it now. He's like, I've got to do better. That's me. Um, if we don't actually see those changes put in place this week, it's going to be eh, it's going to be bad. Uh, before yeah. we get to prediction time, if you could only pick one, are you taking the 2016 route of Florida State with College Game Day in town, or are you taking the 2002 rain upset of Florida State when they were sort of uh, riding high at the peak of their their prowess at the early part of that decade? 2002 is the first time I drank in class. So uh, <laughs> on top of that, I was, I was getting hammered in class for that game. That was one of the more fun games I've ever been to. Uh, secondly, um, after that game, the next day was actually pretty funny. Because this is back when, you know, what I think I had a, a Nokia, like whatever phone. And there was like an eight, the, the, the singular store over uh, in St. Matthew's area. When the next day, there was a line down the whole, down the entire <laughs> shopping center of people going to try to get their phones fixed because yeah. everybody at the game, their phone died because of all the rain. That was, that, that, yeah, that, that was not being topped. I, I, that was the most fun game I've ever been to. Um, in my life and then and I think at that time it was still so crazy that like whoa like we didn't I didn't feel like hey they're anywhere near that level and and, and 2016 was great but they had a couple like 2000 it was the 2014 game they they should have won and in Florida State ended up coming back and win you felt yeah. like you're closer yeah. to Florida State at that point 2002 was like one of those wins it's like wow we're beating Florida fucking state like this is crazy so yeah I'd have to go with 2002 I was still so mad at that team for losing to Kentucky and Colorado State, though. Like, I was still so pissed off. Because, remember, it was the it was billed as Dave Ragone Heisman. It was billed as the highest preseason ranking in program history. I think I heard that line like a like 50,000 times that summer, or at least after the polls came out. And I was still so mad about it. But, I mean, it was awesome. I, I go 2016 just because, like, the Lamar I mean, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Like, we were the talk of college football. 
for really the first time in my entire life. And like, that was so cool. And those few months when we were in the college football playoff race were just like as much fun as I've ever had following local football, I guess that. And then the, the national title pursuit in 06, and you can't go wrong either way, but uh, I love the, the 2016 game is always going to be special. Both games are going to be special, but for different reasons. Um, I do love that era. Like kids don't understand back in the day, like when you, like when you had cell phones, if it rained, like you were in jeopardy of just having to get a whole new fucking phone. Like it was it, like, that was, you ran that risk all the time. I'll never forget the 2004, yeah, 2004 Kentucky Derby. It was the Smarty Jones year where it like monsooned. I mean, we're walking out of the infield. My best friend takes his phone out of his pocket and just chucks it across the infield because it's worthless. That's like it's done. It's, it's ruined. I didn't get a SIM card though. Uh, you, had to get, you had to get the SIM card. That was the big thing. But yeah, back yep. in, that's hilarious. The Everybody's phone was just, you went to the game, you knew there was a 90% chance you were going to need a new phone the next day, but that's the price you paid. Um, yep. Let's get to predictions. Does Louisville snap this four-game losing streak, get off the snide, and take care of Florida State on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I'm going to go with it. I, 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 last week was the first time I haven't done a prediction, and I'm like, yeah, maybe that was the reason why they actually had a chance. If I'm going to be superstitious, I might as well go with something. But I think that I, I think that the, the defense has turned a little bit of a corner not just from like, hey, they're playing better. I think that Brian Brown has kind of just said, man, we're just going to go for it. We're, you know, we're going to play more aggressive and let the chips fall where they may. Um, and I do think that Florida State's defense is 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 in a bad spot, and I think Louisville can finally get things going on offense. But I am going to go with like thirty-one to twenty-eight. Louisville wins. All right, I like it. I I think the, here's where our problem's been. We haven't played Atlantic Division teams. Like that's my whole thing. We played three teams from the Coastal <laughs> Division and then Notre Dame. We need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to playing the Atlantic Division. And I think this is just the change of pace we need. I don't care that it's Florida State. I don't care that they have all these five stars. We're gonna win because we're finally getting back to our home. And I don't mean Cardinal Stadium. I mean our comfort home in the Atlantic. <laughs> uh, I think it's gonna be like a, a weird game. Don't ask me how we get to these scores, but I say Louisville wins 29-27, uh, just to be different from you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And one less point and uh, two different scores. All right. Uh, Keith, appreciate it. Again, if you haven't signed up for the pod, uh, please do so. Give us a, a five-star rating. Give us a, a nice review if you can. We'll be back next week uh, recapping this game, getting you ready for uh, next week's game against Virginia Tech on Halloween. Hope everybody's staying safe. Hope everybody's having a good time. Talk to you next week. Go Cards. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.